Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The devil is definitely Manchester United. Too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Oh! Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. Who would have thought we would end the weekend disappointed by a 1-1 draw against Liverpool? Yes, standards and expectations have fallen, but that's how it is. Manchester United should have beaten the Champions of Europe and it was an improvement on the past few weeks. On Series 5, Episode 12 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, we discuss that Liverpool game and condemn a potential Saudi takeover of United, as well as bringing you the latest news from the club's youth and women's teams and lone stars. Enjoy. Jack, I got a, a very late ticket to Sunday's afternoon's game and ended up in the East Stand when I, I thought I'd be in the pub. And I'm, I'm glad I was, which I didn't think I would be when I was paying for it before because uh, it ended up being a, a very good atmosphere and we were so close to a, a really good win. And in the end, a draw was, was probably fair. But based on that first half performance, certainly United should have come away with a win. Ultimately, I think it was probably a fair result on the balance of the game because as well as we played and as much as we contained Liverpool and it, it was without doubt the best performance we've put in since the opening game of the season, you know, we were still sitting back still under the cosh for a lot of the game. So I think it's hard to say that we, you know, we dominated or maybe definitely deserved to win the game. But a lot of positives to take. It was, I felt really deflated actually after 
after the game, which was a weird feeling considering how well we'd played, for just the frustration that we weren't able to see it out. But so many positives to take from, you know, finally putting in a, a good performance after, you know, months of just awful, awful games. Yeah, United set out tactically very well. We got to see three at the back for the first time this season, which is something we've spoken about, I think, on the last two or three episodes, and we've both said we want to see. And uh, we had a little conversation on Twitter where there was rumours that United were considering a three at the back, and then suddenly it happened. And I, I wasn't really expecting it, even though I, I, we wanted it to happen. Three at the back with the right line-up, going out injured in the warm-up was, was a shame, and it, it, I think it changed the defence to quite a large extent in terms of having to shift to accommodate Rojo, who's not as good on, on the ball. But the positives were it nullified their fullbacks who create most of their chances and United were winning pretty much every second ball. United were kind of dominating the midfield, every area on the pitch uh, because of the, the change in formation. Yeah, it was a shock to me to see to see us actually go with three at the back. We've, we've spoken about it and been in support of it for the last few weeks, but it was a surprise to me to see that we actually, we actually did try and implement it, especially in such a big game. You know, come, all right, we have just had the international break, but the vast majority of our players were away during the break. And it's strange to see such a big tactical shift in a, in a game against our biggest rivals when we probably only had about three or four days of training to, to prepare. But it worked out really well. As you said, Twanzevi getting injured in the warm-up was a big loss because just on the ball, he would offer he would have offered us so much more than Rojo. But to be fair to Marcus Rojo, he actually played very well and did well in defence. I really hope we see three at the back more going forward because I think it offers us a lot more opportunities to create than in the four-two-three-one does. Yeah, absolutely. Even Anne Rambasaka we saw getting forward a lot more. And even though that there's times where he does things you kind of don't want him to do and when he doesn't put the ball in and maybe is too patient and there's other times where he his crossing just isn't isn't good enough. But seeing him further forward and being able to combine with Dan James who drifted wide right while Rashford drifted wide left was was really positive. Um, and I think if if you get United's first choice fullbacks in there, so Juan Basaka and, and Shaw and or um, Brandon Williams, then you can start to see uh, the real impact of, of, of the, the wingbacks because obviously Young being older has his limitations in that role where he has to be up and down the pitch. But I think even up front as well, you saw Rashford working off Dan James and James working off Rashford worked well for both of them. And Andreas Pereira would shift up in between the middle of them quite a lot of the time. Um, he looks better when he got space further forward and it's when he plays in, in midfield or on in the wide positions where space is a little bit cramped that he, he looks pretty poor. I thought Pereira had quite a poor first half, but in general the formation worked really well. And what was really pleasing was just that ordinary players raise their levels to to meet the the expectation of the game, which is something we've seen not happen most of the time. Yeah, Pereira really was the key to, to that formation working for me because the whole point of, of playing that formation yesterday was that we had we had a formation that could nullify Liverpool's fullbacks and still give us a good amount good amount of numbers in midfield and still allow us to not get overrun by Fabinho, Henderson, and in, in midfield. So and and Wijnaldum, sorry. So it it did work out really well and Pereira was key to that because he offered us the extra man in midfield but when we when we got the ball and tried to counter quickly he was also providing us with a third man going forward along with James and Rashford and he really was the person that kind of made it it work for in, in, a, lot, in a, lot, a lot of cases because he was the one that was providing those extra runs he was the one often putting the, the initial ball forward to Rashford or Dan James and Rashford and James both massively benefited from having someone up alongside them 
you know, we Ollie during the week had said that he he wanted to see Rashford play in a front two, and I do think it, it's something that we should try going forward because Rashford does work in a front two because his movement is so good that he offers whoever he's playing with so many options. The worry, of course, and it was the same thing that happened after the Chelsea game, is that what happens when we play a team that sits back against us? Because this worked against Liverpool because they were, yeah. their defence was sat on the halfway line for most of the game and they were pushing so many men forward that it was easy for us to counter-attack. But can we sustain this against deep blocks and can we figure out a way to break the, break teams down when they sit back against us? I'm still not convinced. Yeah, well, I think the the good thing about it is because you've got either three or five at the back, really, particularly because United are playing actual fullbacks there rather than kind of wingers playing out of position. I think because of that, against the smaller teams, you can see the wing-backs pushing forward a lot more with the, the support of the three-man defence behind it. And so I think it probably could work as well. And, it, and in that case, uh, if you're struggling to create, you might bring on someone like Dan James to, in the wing-back role rather than up front to kind of add more to, to United's side. So I think it could work, but yeah. I think United always have problems against low block. Will this be the solution? Yeah, I'm not convinced yet, but we'll see. And hopefully he does try it more. And Solskjaer said after that he probably will begin to be using it again. Um, The problem really for United was after a really good first half where we deserved to be in front was the in-game naivety of Solskjaer yet again. Um, this is the eighth point, well, the seventh and eighth point that United have dropped from winning positions in the Premier League alone. Had they not dropped those points against Wolves, Southampton, Arsenal and Liverpool, we'd now be third above Leicester. Had we even not dropped those points in two of those games, we'd now be sixth and people would probably be saying, well, it's been a, a little bit of an underperformance, but United have had a, an OK start to the season. And that is that is a key weakness in Solskjaer as a manager, is he, he cannot adjust within the the middle of games absolutely absolutely and it was so obvious against Liverpool I, t- I tweeted about th- five minutes after the first half started the pattern of the game was already set from pretty much the 50th minute to the 90th it, it the pattern was exactly the same for the entire second half because for whatever reason when we when we take the lead at the moment we we automatically just go into survival mode it's like there's no I don't really know where this come from comes from I don't know whether it's directed from the bench or, or the players. But it seems like there's no belief that we can actually go out and kill off the game. And and the best way to, to see off a game is not simply just to hang on and hope that you can survive for 45 minutes. It's to go out, keep the ball, tire out the opposition by forcing them to run after you with the ball. And ultimately, it's scoring that second goal that wins you the game. And yeah, we had a couple of opportunities. Fred had a good one after some nice play by uh, Pereira. Rashford had a shot that probably should have done a little bit better with. But other than that, we, we didn't create anything in the second half because we barely had the ball in Liverpool's half. And it's and Solskjaer's managerial style is very much to not really make too many changes. And it's probably even in the great run that we had back in January, February, March, it was still the weakest part of his management because he was very, very reluctant to make changes. And I, I'm struggling to remember a game where the Solskjaer has positively affected by his in-game substitutions. Well, the the, the strange thing going back to the the Southampton game was he he seemed to make the right decision initially, and then remember when Kevin Danso got sent off, and suddenly his changes were made kind of irrelevant, and then he should have made another change. Um, so he did get it right 
initially in that game and then failed to adapt again. And it's always the case against Liverpool was uh, no sub until the 84th minute. Why? Because it it was so... In a game when we were defending constantly and our tyres were visibly becoming knackered in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, and then then the player that does come on is Martial for his first appearance since August, which I understand. And and Martial's a... I can't wait for him to be back in the United side. I think he could really change and, and turn this season around. But you look in contrast to Liverpool, the the captain Jordan Henderson is brought off. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain comes on, then Lallana and Cater as well. No attackers come onto the pitch, but uh, and one even came off in in Divock Origi. But it changed the game. Liverpool took control of the midfield, much more energy than United did in that second half, and that helped them to find the equaliser. And th- and this is the thing: Solskjaer's got to surround himself, or find one coach, an assistant manager, or whatever, who can make up for his weaknesses and his clear weakness is an inability to adapt to the second half of games and this is why United are 12th, 13th whatever rather than uh, 3rd or 4th. Being able to close out these games is a fundamental skill not only of being a, of, of being a good manager but also of being a good team. You can't you can't be giving up points in the way that we have. I mean it, it's just unfathomable to me why Solskjaer waited until that 84th minute to make any subs yesterday. Again, I understand we were playing relatively well. We looked pretty comfortable in, you know, keeping Liverpool at bay, but you can't expect a starting 11 to, to basically defend for 70 out of nine, uh, out of the 90 minutes and keep up that level. And all right, you know, at the end of the day, the goal and the fact that we didn't win the game wasn't really down to Solskjaer's substitutions. It was a couple of individual errors in the build-up to the goal. But there was a lot more that could have been done by Solskjaer to stop our players from kind of getting into that position in the first place because we, we were knackered by the end of the game. You could see it as soon as Liverpool scored, it looked like we were about to lose. I actually texted one of my friends and I said, I have a horrible feeling we're about to lose this game because we were out on our feet. And it, and the subs, the impact they would have had, you know, might be might be questionable. But it, would, it just seems like he has no ideas in games. And it's not. it wasn't just Liverpool... It's a pattern that's been set. It honestly, since he very first came in, is that the, the subs don't happen until at least sort of seventy-five minutes normally. Yeah, and a lot of them are in the last ten minutes when the, the whole point of them is is completely futile. I think the problem is you've got this this coaching staff and, and none of them seem to be able to. And it's clearly a group effort because you you not it's it's not that common to see Solskjaer out on the touchline, whereas Phelan, McKenna, Carrick are often there giving the instructions. And you think, well. And, and none of these lot kind of pushing for a change to be made, for something to, to happen, because you can't just sit and wait, especially against a team like Liverpool, who had a, a, a pretty uh, bad day, but are still the champions of Europe and, and the Premier League leaders. And so some, something has to be done to that United coaching staff. The only thing I will say is, had Solskjaer had a midfielder who could have come on off the bench, United could have taken back control of that game and won it comfortably um so that goes back to the the lack of investment in the summer and the the failure to buy a midfielder because even if the midfielder the united bought had been starting the game then you can bring on Pereira, fred mctominay to come on and and give a bit more energy in that midfield as it was so yeah yeah that's what i was going to say you know the the only sort of excuse i guess that Solskjaer and the coaching staff have is that the depth simply isn't there yeah but I don't think that's an. Ex- I don't think that's a good enough excuse to, quite frankly, because you've got, still got to make use of what you do have, and they still aren't tapping into 
the resources that they do have in terms of players on the bench. Even bringing on James Garner, it's a it's a big ask. But this goes back to the the claim that he's constantly playing the kids. And yes, he's given a lot of minutes to players like McTominay, Pereira, Twansovic. That's that's a a real positive of this season. But the fact that he hasn't given Garner a a chance from the start of a game or an extended chance off the bench rather than five or ten minutes since he's come in means that you get to this Liverpool game, James Garner's on the bench. Is he ever going to bring him on against Liverpool after he's not played much in the Premier League, in the Champions League, in the Europa League, whatever? Not not really, because you can't trust him at this stage. So you've got to play him in, in other games so that when United are 1-0 up against Liverpool, you can bring on this... 18 year old midfielder or a 19 year old left back whoever because you, you've you've managed to put your trust in them now and as it was I understand why he didn't bring Garner on because he hasn't shown he can do it in the first team yet but he, he might have been able to show that if he'd played in the last few weeks so that, that that's another uh, a failure of, of the coaching staff well the, the other thing here is that substitutions are not the only way that you can affect a game as a manager there were plenty of things that we could have done it to, to try and change up the pattern of the game a little bit. We could have switched formation, although three at the back was working really well. You know, our performance our performance was good, but we were under the cosh, you know, and if if I can see that that isn't sustainable on Twitter after five minutes of the second half, you would hope that the coaching staff of one of the biggest clubs in the world would also be able to see that. And there are plenty of things you can do to try and alter the pattern of the game, If even while keeping the same people on the pitch. You could have moved Pereira deeper, you could have moved moved to four at the back, pushed Ashley Young forward, and, and have Wan-Bissaka, Rojo, Maguire, and Lindelof. All right, maybe you don't want to touch the 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 back three or back five because they're playing well. So maybe then you drop Rashford, one of Rashford, Dan James a little bit deeper, go with a genuine one up front. You know, there are a lot of things that you can do in a game without changing the people on the pitch. And it, again, it just seems like there's just such a lack of ideas. It's like this is the one idea we're going with this week. We're not going to change it. Do your best, lads, and 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 that that's almost it. It seems like that's the extent of of our sort of tactical plans every week. Yeah, um, I think De Gea tweeted after the game, and it kind of summed up the the feelings of of most United fans, and and I assume the the players and coaches. He said, "Never happy with a draw, but very proud of the team's spirit." And that that was kind of the point: is that we saw something from this United team that says th- this could turn into a team that potentially can can be in the top four. Uh, this could turn into a team that we can get behind and, and support properly, rather than supporting for for supporters' reasons. I think I think the key thing for United was was the midfield. Is that some good work from Pereira and Fred and McTominay, but their best stuff was tackling well, winning second balls and headers, rather than anything of of genuine quality. Um, I think that that ended up being the difference but hope we, we we've got to see more in game changes as we've said um we've got a question from and this probably this is on a on a similar um kind of line of thought from Colin at Rojanaldo says why do you think it took Ole this long to finally try something new when 4231 as a formation clearly isn't working for us um i think i understand managers reluctance to change formation particularly when he's trying to install something new, something structured at United, something long-term. But we've been calling for three at the back for, for quite a few weeks now and, and hopefully we see him adapt quicker and have maybe two or three set systems that United can play in and develop that with the players. Yeah, I, th- I think partly it was simply that Solskjaer doesn't seem like a manager that, that particularly likes to change very much. And there are some managers that are like that. They just don't 
particularly want to change their system. I think partly it was also probably the injuries because he probably felt like if he's going to be implementing this new system, why do it now when half of the, his first team players are out? We might as well wait until we have a few more, in, uh, sorry, a few less injuries and a few more people available. But I mean, again, it's been quite obvious to us and to most people that we've needed a change. And it does, I honestly do just feel like Solskjaer is a manager who doesn't particularly enjoy making a lot of changes a lot of the time. And that's okay. There are certain, there are managers that are like that and it's just like we might have to get used to. The hope is just that the changes are made when they're necessary when we're going through such bad run, uh, such a bad run of form as we have been. Yeah. And I, I, I really do hope we, we keep trying this three at the back, particularly with the return of, of Martial. Um, because I yeah. think it's also easier to bring because of United's squad and the, the way it's kind of imbalanced, it's easier to adapt to injuries in this formation because you can bring Mason Greenwood and Dan James straight into that front two. In midfield, you can kind of adapt where players are, are playing in-game. You can have Pogba further forward, further back, McTominay, whatever. Um, and the win-backs and, and the defences can, can be consistent. And depending on the game, you can play the more attacking Brandon Williams or the the more solid Shaw or Ashley Young. And, and the same goes at, at right back. You could play Diego Dallo in, in smaller games where United need to break teams down and Aaron Wan-Bissaka in, in the important games. Um, so hopefully you see... It just gives us a lot more options, I think, yeah. it, which is, is the main thing. Yeah, right. Um, there's some, been some reports about James Madison, uh, David Ornstein from The Athletic saying that a number of sources close to Madison, Leicester and United, think that he'll probably be a United player come next summer. Uh, it's currently October, so we'll see about that. But good signing or, or not? Yes, yeah. I, th- I mean, we spoke a few weeks ago, when, or a bit longer than that now, when we played Leicester about the one the one player we'd like to see us sign. If we could take someone from Leicester, and I th- I'm pretty sure I said James Madison from that. Um, I think he's the exact kind of player we need, someone who is a, uh, able to link the play my one reservation is that the price we'd probably have to end up paying for him for a relatively young English player from the Premier League is probably going to be astronomical. I would guess that we could probably honestly get a player of better, if not of the same, if not better quality from abroad for the same price. So that, that worries me slightly that we are, we're, we seem to be so fixated on this sort of young English talent angle. And I understand but it seems like we're almost going out of our way at this point to make that happen. But ultimately, it's not my money. I'd much rather see it spent than put into the Glazers' pocket. And I do think Madison is a player that could help us. Yeah, I think the problem is that the the, the young English thing or young British thing makes sense if you're recruiting from you're recruiting these players before they become established Premier League players, like Dan James. That that's the good signing, like Jadon Sancho before he joined Borussia Dortmund or Madison yeah. before Leicester signed him or Harry Maguire when Leicester signed him that kind of thing because Leicester are doing it the right way they're signing them for 10, 15, 20 mil and selling them for, for 70, 80 now United aren't buying players so that they can sell them for more in the future but it it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to buy these British players when their value's already gone up to ridiculous I mean look at City bought Bernardo Silva for much less than United would have to pay for, for James Madison um so I think I think it would make more sense to to go for someone else, and it would be a good signing if Paul Pogba is going to stay at United. Then maybe you could put Pogba further forward and sign. I'd be I'd be happier to put Pogba further forward and and have someone playing and buy someone to play in that deep central midfield role. But if Pogba is going to go, then this this signing definitely makes sense. Now one other big piece of news was 
the Saudi Arabian princes are apparently coming back in for another three billion bid to buy United. We don't need to say much about this. I mean, the Glazers are incompetent, uh, terrible, greedy, have run the club, not into the ground, but into into mid-table they've run the club into. But the Saudis are something else. We don't need to to ruin 141 years of history of Manchester United because we want to see a few more players signed, a few more uh, a few more million pounds invested into the stadium or the academy or whatever. Yeah, it's it's a step to it's a step beyond anything that we can accept really. You know, there are just some things that are completely unacceptable and completely against everything that Manchester United should be standing for and some of the human rights abuse, rights abuses, you know, gender inequalities issues in Saudi Arabia are just too big for us to ignore and we can't we can't allow people that have been so wrapped up in that to, to be running our football. Yeah, I don't want to be used as a as a symbol of of a country to say, oh, look at us, we're, we're actually fine. Um, and I mean, it's just that there's so... The, the level of... The extent of the, the horror of, that Saudi Arabia have committed over their history, particularly this, this set of um, rulers, is, is incredible. Um, and you can talk about politics in any country in the world but I don't want United to be involved in any of that and I, I couldn't bring myself to, to go to Old Trafford many, anymore and I think that would be the same for a lot of match going United fans if the Saudis came over and took United and I don't I don't think they will either I, I can't see it happening No neither can I, my only worry is that it seems like the only people now willing and able to have to have the money to take over United for what it looks like the Glazers will demand because it looks like they want over two billion at least for anyone to buy the club. Is the only people it seems like that have that kind of money and the willingness to put in the time to run the club after putting in that kind of investment are governments. Unfortunately, the the ones we've really heard a lot about are the Qatari government and the Saudi Arabian government. And you think about it, and what what business people are going to be willing to put up that kind of investment into the club and then take the time to actually run it. You know that's a lot of money to be asking for some for someone to put in. So now, now the worry for me is, if the Glazers do leave, which hopefully they will, who who the hell are we going to look to to take over? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting point, but I, I, that's the thing. There are many. I mean, it's not for us to worry about. It's just a just a thought. The Glazers are, are terrible, but there there are many many people worse than them. Um, that that could be the owners of Manchester United. Right, let's move on to the um, youth update. United's under-23s haven't been in action since the restart after the international break, but play on Monday night, soon after we record this, in the league against Swansea City away from home. The under-18s, meanwhile, drew 1-1 at home to Middlesbrough. Anthony Alanga scored the goal. So Alex Ferguson watched on alongside Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Michael Carrick, which was great to see. I, d- I doubt it was a, a coincidence that his visit to the, the training ground came at this time because of the, the pressure that Solskjaer is on. I think it was a, a message to Solskjaer, to the fans, the media, the board um, that Solskjaer has got. So Alex Ferguson's backing. Um, the women's team, a brilliant 2-0 win for Manchester United against rival City on Sunday at lunchtime before the men's team played Liverpool. After losing the first ever meeting between the sides back in early September, United came out on top in the Continental Cup. There were plenty watching on as City played a full-strength side at Lee Sports Village. It was pretty much the same team for City 
as the one that drew 1-1 with Atletico in the Champions League midweek. But the 2-0 win for United showed the, the progress that Casey Stoney's side have already made in their first season in the Women's Super League top division. It means United are now level on points with City in their group of the Continental Cup, but trail three points behind Birmingham, but they have a game in hand. The goals for United came from Jess Sigworth and Katie Zellum, and it ends City's unbeaten start to the domestic season. Now, Jack Partizan Belgrade on Thursday. Norwich away on Sunday. Uh, Partizan is also away from home. It's a, it's a big week for United after a decent draw against Liverpool and a chance to really say, well, we've come out of this international break, we've drawn against the, the league leaders, the champions of Europe, and then we're going to beat two teams in the space of a week away from home and get our season started properly now. Right, the, these next two games are in some ways more important than, than the Liverpool game now because we've proved that we can do it against Liverpool. we put in... Like as I said, for me, without a doubt, with our best performance since the opening game against Chelsea. So now that everyone in the club is feeling a lot better about themselves. You can sense that with the fans. We haven't forgotten everything that, that's gone past, that's gone before. But there is a willingness, I think, to be patient and to be accepting among among the fan base when we see performances like this. So now, in some ways, this is more important than the Liverpool game because now we have to keep that good will that has been built up by fans. Because if we lose to Partizan Belgrade on Thursday, I think we're we're right back to just as bad a feeling as we had right before the Liverpool game. Because that would be up there with our worst defeats of the season, without a doubt. Yeah, I think the, these are two games that United should be winning, but we've said that so many times this season. Uh, it, it, it just it, It's a great opportunity for, for Solskjaer to get the fans back on board. Now, I don't think anyone's expecting a, a big win away in Belgrade. Uh, I think that game was under under most managers would end as a a pretty dull win at at best. Um, but United will United fans will want to see something from their team and at least a win because um, it is it's an away Europa League games are, are so often so tricky. Uh, the draw against AZ was was fine, but in the context of of the rest of the week, we said it it, it was really disappointing. Um, United should should be winning against Belgrade. And then Norwich away, I think, is an even bigger opportunity because that's a game which United need to put a, a decent performance in because that the Liverpool game was good and the performance was good, but it was it, again it was it was a good performance for forty five minutes, which is what we've said throughout the season against Wolves, Southampton, even Chelsea, all of these games, Arsenal as well. Uh, good 45 minutes either in the first half or the second half and then the other half of the game has been disappointing so a good 90 minutes against Norwich would be good what 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 prediction are you going for? Oh, I'd, I'm torn now because you want to be more positive after the Liverpool game but I, I just don't have any faith that we've actually turned the corner against teams that sit back against us Yeah, neither. I actually think weirdly I actually think we might we'll probably have a better chance against Norwich than we will against Partizan Belgrade because Norwich yeah, I think under so. Daniel Farker are very willing to come out and play their own style and, and try and try and actually play football. So I'll go with a dull nil-nil against Partizan Belgrade and then I'll go with a 2-1 win against Norwich. Okay, I'll, I'm going to go 1-1 against Partizan. Anthony Martial to score on his, on his comeback, potentially off the bench. And a 2-1 win against Norwich. I, I think it will be tight. I, I I say this is a great opportunity for Solskjaer to turn United season around. I I'm yeah. not predicting that. I think United will win one of these games and probably draw the other. But I, I don't think the performances will be anything to be too pleased about. Uh, because no, neither do I. 
it was it was a fine performance against Liverpool, but in the grand scheme of things, it it, it wasn't that good. Um, and the first half was good, but United should have scored a, a couple of goals. They they should have created more. So it, things are a little and again, bit more it, positive. It was, it was good because we were able to play on the counter attack. But yeah. most teams aren't going to set up like that against us. Yeah, Rashford and Dan James are especially our two players that need space to operate in. And and that's not a knock on them. It's just the case for a lot of players, a lot of forward players. But teams aren't going to give us that kind of space. And that's what we've seen. Every single time we've played against a team with a deep block, we have no understanding of how to break them down. And as as well as, as much of an, of an improvement as the Liverpool performance was, it made me no more convinced that we can actually break down deep blocks. Yeah, absolutely right. On that incredibly positive note, uh, that's all we have time for on Series 5, Episode 12 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review on iTunes or share it on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, or via WhatsApp in some kind of group chat with hundreds of people if 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 possible um for more from jack throughout the week you can find him on twitter at at utd tate t-a-i-t and you can find me on twitter at harry robinson 64 and the podcast itself at utd weekly pod that's p-o-d at the end there have a great week uh enjoy two united games hopefully goodbye Network.